Is it possible to live a life without lack? That is, is it possible to have everything you actually really desire and need in life so you can live a life of complete and utter contentment, be free from worry, free from fear, free from envy, free from greed, free from lust, to live a life without lack. Now, you might say, why on earth would I, I mean, it sounds great, but why, don't, how, why on earth would I have the right to live a life without lack? Well, I don't know if you noticed this, Psalm, uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore what? I lack nothing. I, uh, David, in the psalm, says that there is an experience of God that we can have, that he has had, that results in him living a life without lack. Now, I sometimes think what we do as spiritual people or religious people or Christian folk is we hear truths like this or, or statements like this that we know we should believe, right? We go, oh, yeah, it's there, it's there. But you know what? You get, we go to ourselves, well, that's really... We put that in there, too hard, must be true for some super spiritual other people. I don't quite understand what it means, basket, and we just leave it there. And we don't really grapple with it and think about it. Well, what does it actually mean to live a life without lack? And how are we going to get there? So this series on Psalm 23, this month of meditating on Psalm 23, is inspired by... Dallas Willard. Dallas, is uh, he passed away a few years back. He was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California and has had a huge impact on my life and on many, many other people's lives. And here's, what you, here's one of the things that might help you understand Dallas Willard and his approach and what we're trying to do this month. Willard's philosophy was the study of a fellow called Edmund Herschel. And you might go, ah, oh, Edmund Herschel, yes. No, I don't think so. Okay, so what you need to know about Herschel was he was what's called a, phenomen a phenomenologist. And what you need to know about this phenomenology in philosophy is it's about the, it's, a, it's, a, it's realism. It's a study of metaphysical and epistemological realism. And you say, what is realism? Realism says you and I can have direct true knowledge of the thing in itself. Like, we, we can actually know and the thing in itself. Now, you might say, well, that's just bleedingly obvious, Mark, but honestly, it's not. So, in the realm of philosophy, lots of people argue you can't really know the thing in itself. Uh, Herschel and the phenomenologists and the realists say you can. And what Willard has done is he's taken that philosophical approach and he said, well, you can know the thing in itself, and the thing in itself that you can know is God as a real being. And, and, and knowing God and the thing in itself, you can think really hard and clearly about the world as it actually is and unpack it and explore it in all its complexity. And that's how you and I will learn to live a life without lack. So it's a fascinating approach. I found it extraordinarily helpful. Uh, how, uh, how do we learn to live this life without lack. Look at, look at Psalm 23. It's not complicated. It's extraordinarily well known. It's the psalm I read to my father when he was dying of cancer, even though at that point he wasn't a person of faith. It's the psalm I typically read when I visit anyone who's dying. 
Uh, and most people in our culture will know the psalm. And what does it say? Well, it starts off by saying, well, the Lord is my shepherd. That is, we're not alone. Uh, we're not in charge. We don't have to, have to protect ourselves or feed ourselves or guide ourselves. There's a God who will look after us. That's the first truth about the way the world really is. And as a result of that, we're going to lack nothing. Because God is our shepherd, we can live a life without lack. Because look what's going to happen. He's going to make me lie down in green pastures. Now, let me ask you a question. What sort of sheep lies down in a pasture full of lovely green grass? A content one, in particular content because it's safe, yes, it's safe and it's full. Yeah, so if you're a hungry sheep, you're standing and you're moving around and you're eating. This sheep is lying because why? The shepherd has made sure the sheep is fed. And so it is with us. Our great shepherd feeds us, feeds us him, himself, manna from heaven. Our great shepherd is, in fact, the bread of heaven who comes and satisfies us and feeds us with bread that will uh, nourish us forever. And then, if you look at this, he leads me beside quiet waters. Well, what sort of sheep uh, walks alongside quiet waters? One that is not thirsty. That's exactly right. And the, and the sheep aren't thirsty because the shepherd has made sure that they have everything they need to drink. And that's what our great shepherd says. He says, listen, if you come to me, I am the living water. I, he says, I will, I will put in your soul, in the very center of your being, streams of living water that gush out so you'll never be thirsty again. That's a life without lack. This abundantly providing God who gives us everything we need. So we never have to be uh, worried about not having enough food or drink, about not having what our bodies need to sustain us. And then verse 3, this shepherd refreshes our souls. Another word that is sometimes used there for refresh is restore. He heals, he mends our broken souls. Because here's the thing, right? Uh, our souls are cracked. We're broken, we're messed up. Now, some of you are young. Uh, you possibly haven't been too hurt yet. But just give it time. Just give it time. Like life is hard. Your soul will be cracked and broken. All kinds of things will go wrong. There will be all kinds of pain and loss and grief and heartache in your life. And the thing about God is that he will restore us and heal us and mend us and make it all right. So we can live a life without lack because the brokenness won't triumph. And it will be well with our souls. And he guides me along the right paths, or as some translations say, he guides me on the paths of righteousness. So if God is our shepherd, a life without lack means we're never going to lack direction in life. You're never going to lack purpose and meaning. You're never going to have to worry about how you should live because he's going to show you. And I know that's on some of your minds because you might be looking for work or you might have just finished year 12 and thinking about uni courses or thinking about subject selections for year 12 and you're, what am I going to do with my life? And everyone's going to be asking you that. And you, you, you will never lack good things to do. You don't have to worry ever about how to live, about the choices you have to make because God will show you. And he'll show you the right paths to walk on, the paths of righteousness, of love. Uh, that's the promise of the psalm. 
And then he says, even though I walk through the, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. A life without lack says, you know what? Even when people are trying to kill me, even when everything in my life is conspiring against me and I face unimaginable evil, I don't have to be scared. A life without lack is a life completely empty of fear. Now imagine that. Imagine your life and my life free of fear, free of fear of what people think, free of the fear of rejection, which is a form of mini-death and mini-evil, free of the fear of death itself. Like that's the life without lack. And of course, here living in the inner west of Sydney, it's not hard to imagine being sort of free of fear because actually the world's a pretty good place, right? No one's about to come in and kill us right now. But all around the world, people live in real constant threat of, you know, their lives being taken from them because of their faith. And when David wrote the psalm, he'd spent a good part of his life being chased all around the countryside by people trying to kill him. And yet he could say, because the Lord is my shepherd, I'm not going to be afraid of anything. Well, that's amazing, eh? And, and what's the secret? What's the key right in the middle of the psalm? We see this. The, the heart of a life without lack we find here in verse 4, for you are with me. This is it. How does, how does David and how do you and I live a life without lack? Will we live such a life because we live our life with God? And if God is with us as our shepherd, we're never going to lack anything. We will live in the abundance of abundance. His rod and his staff will comfort us, he'll protect us and guide us. And, and, and he won't just live a life of lack, he, we're going to live a life of abundance because, listen, you prepare a table before me, he's going to throw a great big banquet, and there are going to be some guests in the banquet who are slightly unexpected. Uh, he prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, which is fascinating. Why would, why would God bring our enemies to feast with us? Well, because... Knowing God as our shepherd has made us the kind of people who love our enemies. We're not scared of them. No matter what they do to us, no matter how they treat us, no matter how they threaten us, we're never going to be scared of them. We're never going to seek retribution. We're never going to punish them. We're never going to be vindictive. We're going to love them because that's what our great shepherd says. He says, you know, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And so because the Lord is our shepherd, we can feast and include in our feasting those who have done or would do evil against us. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You anoint my... God is not a God, a stingy, holding back kind of God. He's a God who just wants to bless us. And anointing our head with oil is a sign of just his lavish, extravagant presence and love. There's a little ceremony in Jewish tradition called Havdalah, which we celebrated last night as a family. Uh, Havdalah is the little ceremony you do in the Jewish family at the end of the Sabbath. So you do your, uh, the, the lighting of the candles and your Sabbath prayers at, the start, at sundown on Friday. And then at sundown on Saturday, as you finish the Sabbath and you prepare to enter the next week, you do this little ceremony of Havdalah. And as part of Havdalah, you eat bread and you drink wine. And when you pray the blessing of the wine, you pour wine into a cup and you pour the wine until it actually overflows. Literally, you pour it in until it overflows the cup and down your hand because we want to remind ourselves that as we go into this week, we go with a God who is a God of abundant blessing, who pours wine over us, who's, who's, who fills us with joy 
and goodness. Which is verse 6, that this, this, love, this goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. God's goodness and love, God's very presence, is like our shadow. No matter where you go in life, God will go with you. Isn't that simultaneously both a challenge and a comfort? I mean, it's a challenge because aren't there many things, or at least some things, you might be inclined to do in your life that you really wouldn't God, you wouldn't want God to be sitting next to you while you were doing those things? It's a bit like having your mother sitting next to you while you're committing sexual sin. It takes the joy out of it, right? That's a line from Dallas Willard. I didn't make that up. But it's true, right? It, it'll, it'll, like, there's some things you just don't want God there while you do. Hmm. But actually, you know what? More than anything, we do want God there. Because no matter what happens in life, he'll be with us, right? Whether it's in our sin or in our glory, whether it's in our work or our home life, when you go to uni, when you go to school, when you go to work, God is with you all the days of your life. And you know what? This life that started now will continue even though our physical bodies end because we'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this life with God is endless. It has no, it has no end. It, it's not like it's going to stop. It's not a good thing that runs out. Isn't that a remarkable picture of life? I, I think it is. I'm doing my very best to, to point, paint out, paint for you a picture from the psalm of just how wonderful this is, if it's true. And this is the Dallas Willard question. Is it really true? Let's explore this. Let's study it. And more importantly than just asking the abstract questions, let's think about this question. How do we actually learn to live this life? How does this become possible? Is this kind of life without lack available for you? 13, 14-year-olds, 50, 60-year-olds, rich people, poor people, educated, uneducated. Is this available for us now? Or is it just for super saints? Well, no, the point of the Christian life, the point of our church, is to form us and shape us to be people who live exactly this kind of life, a life with God. So how? How does it happen? Well... Living a life without lack, a Psalm 23 life, starts with what we think or believe or know about God. Everything hinges on what we think about God and the reality of God. And this is where Willard's realism and our realism comes in. What we need to understand and believe and train ourselves to believe is that God is really real. Many years ago, uh, when I was... In my early 20s, I had a conversation with a guy that was quite life-changing. It was a very simple conversation. We were sitting uh, at a cafe, and he said to me, we were talking about God, and he said, Mark, do you realize that God is more real and closer to you than the chair that you are sitting on? And I thought, hmm, he's a metaphysical realist. I thought, wow, that's, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but very often in our culture, we think God is an idea, God is distant, God is absent. The Bible says, no, we can really know God, and God is really present. Like, you know, he's more real now, closer to you, and more real than the very chair that you're sitting on. 
And it's only when we start to understand that and set our minds on that that we start to live a life without lack. Because God is the God in whom we live and move and have our being. God is with us in everything, around us, everywhere. Where your skin ends, God begins. And he's here. This God is the kind of God who, if I say to him, Jesus, will you please help me preach tonight? Because I need it. Because these concepts seem very tricky and but so important. This is the God who will be right here alongside me uh, on this platform helping me preach and teach because he's real. I really believe he's here now helping me. And he'll be here to help you learn and embrace this and live into this because this is who God is, right? Um, John 17, Jesus says this. In the only definition he gives of eternal life, he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We'll learn to live a life without lack when we come to know God. Paul puts it in Ephesians 4. He shows the centrality of our minds when he discusses the life of people who don't yet know God. Uh, he says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. These are people who don't believe in God. In the futility of their thinking. Uh, our thinking can lead us down dead ends and connect us with unreality, he says. So they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. People don't, what it means by hardening of the hearts, people don't want to know God. And because they don't want to know God, they don't know God. They close off their minds to God. And with your mind closed off to God, you are separated from the life of God himself. So Paul says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Well, isn't that a great description of our culture? And it's exactly the kind of futility of thinking that we all end in, we all get ourselves into when we're separated from the life of God. Because if God is not our shepherd who is meeting all our needs out of the abundance of his abundance... Who else is going to meet our needs? Well, we have to meet our own needs. And if we have to meet our own needs, what we discover is that uh, we never have enough. And we never know that what we have won't be taken away from us. So actually, we are given over to sensuality, to meeting our needs, and to greed. Because we always want more. And Paul goes on and he says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. To be made new in the attitudes of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in righteous, true righteousness and holiness. How do we live a life without lack? We come to think of God the way he really is. He changes our minds about him. We come to know him, to experience him personally, moment by moment. And that changes us. And we become like him. Now, what's God like? Let me give you some definitions. There's all kinds of wonderful definitions in the Bible. Here's one. God is an immaterial, intelligent, and free personal being of perfect goodness, wisdom, and power who made the universe and continues to sustain it as well as to govern and direct it in his providence. 
there's a definition of God. And if that's not enough, and if that doesn't excite you, that this being is like sitting with you, with us in this room. Now, how about this? A slightly older and more extensive definition. Uh, God is the eternal, independent, and self-existent being. The being whose purposes and actions spring from himself without foreign motive or influence. He who is absolute in dominion, the most pure, the most simple, the most spiritual of all essences, infinitely benevolent, beneficent, true, and holy, the cause of all being, the upholder of all things, infinitely happy because infinitely perfect, and eternally self-sufficient, needing nothing that he has made, illimitable in his immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence, and indescribable in his essence, known fully only by himself because an infinite mind can only be comprehended by itself. In a word, a being who from his infinite wisdom cannot err or be deceived, and from his infinite goodness can do nothing but what is eternally just, and right and kind. And that kind of God wants to live life with you and with me. And if we live life with this God, can you see that we won't ever lack anything? Wow. That's pretty cool. The way to live a Psalm 23 life, a life without lack, is to live in constant mindfulness of our magnificent God, in whom there is an abundance of abundance of everything we need. That's how we ought to live. That is what life is like. As Dallas Willard says, God is the kind of being who, if you will place yourself in his hands in trust, will ensure that nothing can ever happen to you that will make you say, I'm afraid, or I don't have enough. That's an extraordinary statement. Huh. Can it possibly be true? It's this, this is the most important question. Can it be true? Well, if the answer is yes, it's the most wonderful news ever. And if the answer is yes, and it can be true for you, that's even more glorious and amazing. If you put yourself in your hands, you will never be afraid and you will never have to say, I don't have enough. Now, you might say to yourself, well, hang on, Mark, that's all easy and good for you to say. You have a life of plenty and affluence living here in Sydney. Um, what about people who do starve to death? What about suffering and evil and those who encounter great terror in the world? Now, next week, do come back, because next week we're going to look at, at the purpose of human life, and we're going to look at Satan and demons and evil and how all that works out, and, and to what extent how these things can affect a life without lack. And it's an important discussion to have, but tonight let me say this. Let's think about this a little through the eyes of uh, Jesus. Jesus is the only person who's ever really completely, truly lived the Psalm 23 life, isn't he? And if you think about it, Jesus, Jesus did it from both sides. Jesus was both the great shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, and he was the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. He was the shepherd and the sheep. And as the sheep, as Jesus went through life, if you read the Gospels, you read, say, the Gospel of Matthew, you see that Jesus did not go through life worried or scared, did he? It's not like life happened to him and he responded out of fear or out of need. It's not like he didn't have enough. 
He always did. Uh, it's fascinating. Um, right at the end of his life, when, when he was arrested, they came, the soldiers came with drawn swords, and Jesus rebuked them. And he said, why do you come with swords? He said, look, if I wanted to protect myself, I have, I have armies of angels who could protect me and spare me from, from going to the cross. He says, it's not like I don't have enough. Jesus' whole life of complete uh, sufficiency grew out of his trust and his relationship with his heavenly father. That in his father, he had everything he needed to live in glory forever. And yet he chose not to go down that path, but rather to give up his life, to live and to die. A life that took him down the path of rejection, of torture, and of, of, of a terrible death. And he did all of that uh, while living a life without lack. Out of the hope and the knowledge that his father was with him and on the other side of his death was his resurrection and glory. So, uh, here's the thing. When, when you do life with God... It's increasingly possible to live without fear and to live without worry. Now, the things that make us worry or make us scared, these, these are great opportunities to start to think to ourselves, what is it? Why, why am I worrying about this? And what does my worry about this show me about my lack of trust in God? Like, what is it that my worry or fear about this shows me that I don't understand about God as my shepherd? So, uh, if, you're, if you're a parent, you'll get this. As, as parents, we sometimes worry about our children, don't we? Children, you're here. You, your parents worry about you, right, sometimes. And if they're Christian parents, you need to now go home and rebuke them and say, don't worry about me. But I'll tell you why you worry. So when I worry about my children, as I do occasionally, yeah, my thoughts run like this sometimes. I, I start worrying. And I say, oh, you know, what, what, what are they going to do for, what are they going to study? What are they going to do for work? Uh, how, is, how is artificial intelligence going to rob them of any meaningful career? How on earth are they possibly going to afford to buy a house? Who, who are they going to marry? Are they going to marry some useless dropkick who treats them badly and no one's ever going to be good enough for my kids and you know marriage is so fraught with challenges and what's going to happen to them how's it all going to work you know and 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 when i worry i go you know what the lord is my shepherd and the lord is their shepherd and he'll show me and he'll show them how to live and he'll provide for them surely he's good enough for them as he is for me and I can't secure their future anyway. And I have to believe that God is really real for them. And so when I find myself worrying about things, I have to stop and say, what does it, I, this worry shows me? I don't really believe that God is my shepherd in the area of my children or my shepherd for them or their shepherd. Now we all have our... And when I'm, when I'm scared... When I'm scared about what people might think of me, if I might be rejected, I say, well, why, why, am I, why am I scared of rejection? So it's because at this point, I, I'm not living closely enough with God that I know that if he 
if the God of the universe, who is this amazing being, if he accepts me, that is enough for my soul. And if other people reject me, that's really sad, but it, it's, it's not going to destroy me. If I worry about old age, most of you don't think about that, but those of us who are a little older do sometimes, what's going to happen to my body? It's falling apart, increasing decrepitude, aches and pains, and what's going to happen? How am I going to survive? Well, God will give me a new body. I don't have to worry. He'll get me through. I found it very helpful over the years since thinking about this to always think to myself, and I don't know if you've ever thought this. Maybe do this exercise. Think to yourself, what's the very worst that could happen to you, right? Like, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? Well, is that really that bad? I think, well, the worst thing that could happen to me is I could be tortured and killed. And if the Lord is my shepherd, at that point, I'm just following in the footsteps of Jesus. And is that really so bad? Because even torturing me and killing me, as happens to many Christians, even in the world today and for the last 2,000 years, it doesn't actually take away that which is essential to my life. Because God is still with me through the torture and through the death, and I get a new resurrection body. And so, so it's not that bad. <laughs> It's the worst that can happen is not that bad when God is with me. So why should I be afraid of it? Why should I be scared? Why should I worry? Why shouldn't? So uh, that's the journey we're on. And I think for us as a church, it's extraordinarily important that we we are people and we form people here in this church who live this kind of life with God. Our, our city needs it. I mean, this, is, this, is the, this life with God is a recipe for, for flourishing, for mental wellness. In, an, in, an, in a worried and greedy and scared world to be people who are living a life without lack, who are utterly free from worry or from fear or from greed or from lust. I mean, that is the most powerful witness there is to the truth of God. And that's what, that's what excites me about our church, that we can be and become those people. Now, that's what we're going to journey through uh, over the next little while. Listen to this. This is what Jesus says, Matthew 6, verse 33. Uh, a great little passage to meditate on and why we shouldn't worry. He says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. I mean, that's the promise, right? You've got to seek it. This is a critical piece in, in this life without lack. It's not a passive thing. It's not like you just turn up and one day God just goes, bang, here's a life without lack. You didn't ask it, you didn't want it, but I'm just going to give it to you. And if you didn't get it, oh, that's because I didn't choose you. Bad luck. The, the, the exhortation of Scripture here is you seek it. You go after it, but you go after God. You go after God and his kingdom and his righteousness and Jesus promises, if you seek me, you will find me. Ask and you will receive. So seek God and his righteousness. Seek a life without lack. Seek uh, the presence of God with you. And you will find it. That is a sure promise from God. It's not a mystery. 
It's not a random thing. It's not just the preserve of a few special holy people. It's the promise of the gospel for each and every one of us. I'm going to finish just with a whole bunch of Bible verses that show you how God provides for us. And this concept of God as our shepherd who provides in such a way that we have no need and we have no fear is right the way through the Bible. And it's a bit like, you know, if you've bought a new pair of shoes, suddenly you start to see lots of people wearing those shoes. Before, no one had your shoes. Now you've bought them, you see them on everyone. You buy a new car, suddenly everyone's driving the same car. Uh, it's the same with the Bible verse. Once you see this concept, you start to see it everywhere. Uh, Genesis 3, Adam and Eve have just stuffed up. What's the first thing God does? The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. A good Jewish boy, he's in the rag trade. He makes clothes for them, right? Uh, and he provides for them out of his abundance. And then Abraham goes up the mountain with his son Isaac to offer sacrifices. He looks up in the thicket. He sees a ram caught by its horns. He went over, took the ram, and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, uh, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God will provide. In, uh, in Exodus uh, God's people are caught between the devil and the deep blue sea, so to speak. They've left Egypt. They're running away from a genocidal, powerful army. They've stolen all the silverware and the riches from the Egyptians, from their masters. They're hightailing it into the desert in this weird, crazy trust in God. And then they come smack bang up against the Red Sea, and it looks like they're going to die there. And then God does what for them? Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Oh, man, there are going to be times you are going to be afraid. There's going to be scary stuff happening. There are going to be obstacles in front of you that you have no idea how you're ever going to get through. And you're going to pray, and I'm telling you, God, you're going to walk through because God's going to have a wall of water on one side, a wall of water on the other, and he will get you through. That's God for us. Deuteronomy 2, in the desert, the Lord has blessed you in all the works of your hand. He's watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. Wandering in the desert for 40, didn't lack a thing. That's the, that's the normal life with God. At Deuteronomy 29, Yet the Lord says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes didn't wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. How cool is that? Again, not good for the retail industry, everlasting clothes. Entirely scientifically possible. God is energy. Uh, his energy is quite able to be deployed to prevent uh, the wearing out of the fibers of clothes and sandals. And that's what he did to miraculously uh, sustain them and provide for them. And he can do that for the Israelites. He can do that for you and me. He can provide for our very physical, ordinary needs. Psalm 36, how priceless is your unfailing love, O Lord. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. When last did you drink from God's river of delights? Isn't that cool? That's not a stingy mean withholding. It's a God who just abundantly gives to us. Psalm 81, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. 
like little chicks in the nest with their mouths wide open and mummy bird coming in with a mouthful of pre-chewed worm to drop into your open mouth. Like intimate, providing, beautiful. Just op- that's, open your mouth. You have a need. Open your mouth. God will meet your needs. And you might then say, but hang on, Mark, I'm not worthy. I'm messed up. I'm screwed up. I'm not worthy of this kind of love and provision. And well, you know what? You're not. But here's the good news. God's abundance of abundance includes even to forgiving us. Psalm 55, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Man, no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, God will abundantly freely pardon you. Don't ever let your sin keep you away from coming back to the God of abundance. Malachi 3, here's the a, here's a thing about generosity. Bring the whole tithe, all your money, all like 25% of all your income into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then God says specifically this one time in Scripture, he says, test my generosity, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God says you can't outgive God. In a life without lack, with the Lord as your shepherd, God says, test me, be generous, try to outgive me, try to outgive me in the area of your money, and you'll discover that you can't ever do that, that I will fill you with blessings. Now, that doesn't mean if you give the church 10 bucks tonight, God's going to give you 100 bucks tomorrow, miraculously. He might. Chances are he won't. But what he will do is if you live a life of radical, cheerful financial generosity, you will have your life so full of the blessings of God that you will never even notice that you're poorer than you might otherwise have been. I just know so many Christians. Actually, I know a handful of Christians who've lived this out. And I know so many rich Christians who are miserable and don't live a life without lack because they've never really tested God in this. They've never learned to be generous. They've never learned that you can, the only way to really live the life of abundance and the life of lack with God is to not hold on to what you have. God says, test me. It's wonderful. How extraordinary, how extraordinarily exciting. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Romans 8 What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Oh, Lord, I don't know if I'm going to have a satisfying, meaningful career. Listen, God crucified his son for you. I'm sure he can organize meaningful work for you to do with your life. I'm pretty sure of that. Oh, Lord, I don't know that I'll ever find anyone who will love me. Listen, God crucified his own son for you. I'm pretty sure he can fill your life with loving relationships. Do you see how the logic works? I I just think we, this is the truth, right? We must believe it. This is real. This is the God with whom we do life. Let me finish with this prayer for the Ephesians. Paul prays this. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge 
that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You, me, full with the fullness of God. You and I are receptacles of divinity who become divine as God dwells in us. It's extraordinary. That's the life without lack. You're full of God. That's the great thing of our lives. And we're going to look over the next weeks and months and years as a church. How does that work? As God fills us, we should glow. We should radiate the light of Christ because we're so full. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, may this be true in us. Fill us with your fullness that we might live lives without lack, free of worry, free of fear, fully alive to you. Amen. We're going to continue. We're going to respond <clears throat> to God. And we're going to come to him with mouths open and say to him, feed us. Feed us in the sacrament of communion, this bread and this wine that is uh, 